The uh, passage today uh, Paul's preaching on is from Luke 7, 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this were a prophet, she would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts, debts of both. Now which of them will love me more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Where are we today? Great to see you. All looking refreshed after Christmas. Wonderful. And uh, welcome to all, all those who may be visiting here for the first time. It's great to have you here. Uh, I just want to tell you that you've got the C team on this morning. Uh, that we have two other pastors. They're both on holidays. And look, I just want to thank the music team. I thought there was a, a I, I want to thank you all because the worship was great when you consider that we usually have more instruments playing and, and a depth of music to have a guitarist and a drummer I thought that was wonderful so thank you so much for that you've blessed us all so anyway this morning we're continuing our series everybody's welcome uh, where we've been looking at some of the encounters between Jesus and individuals as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, last week we saw a Roman centurion praised for his faith. It would seem even a Gentile soldier of the occupying uh, country and occupying forces is welcome 
in God's kingdom. And this week, as from what Janice just read for us, we've seen a Jewish woman with a poor reputation forgiven and praised for her faith. Again, everybody's welcome. But what about a Pharisee? A member of this religious party that has has no care for sinners and is set out to humiliate Jesus. What about one of them? Would one of them be welcome into God's kingdom? Well, that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning. The the actions of the woman catches our, our attention and her story is told. However, at the heart of this story is an unspoken invitation by Jesus to one particular Pharisee, Simon. It seems our phrase, everyone, everybody's welcome, even applies to those who are followers of God but would oppose his son. On the surface, it seems a, a straightforward story, but we miss a lot if we don't fully understand the context. So I want to begin with an outline of our story. Uh, you'll get a bit of an idea that I'm as much a teacher as a preacher uh, here. But our diagram shows a, a, a ring composition to the story. In that outer rim, we have the woman expressing love and honour towards Jesus. And at the end of our passage, we have her receiving a blessing of, of peace and honour from Jesus. Next circle in, next one in, we have the Pharisee who dishes out judgment and shame on Jesus and the woman in verses 39 to 40. And this is matched by Jesus using the woman's actions to expose Simon's shame in verses 43 to 47. And then at the very centre is our short parable of grace. Now, for the astute amongst you, you may be asking, what's happened to verse 36? You haven't accounted for that. We will get there. Just tuck that away in the back of your mind. We will get there. But before we can get into this story, or what I believe is this story is mainly about, we need to make sense of the woman's actions because, frankly... They grab our attention and they're they're hard to look past. We read that again. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now I reckon the average person would say, This story seems to be about an emotionally charged person who has crashed a party and is making a scene. Does that sound fair? It sounds fair to me. And and, uh, and I think their follow-up question would be, why would she be doing that? What's going on? And I feel like I have to agree with that. I feel like I'm missing some critical bit of information that will help me make sense of that sort of story and Luke doesn't answer these questions because the audience he is writing to understands that they they know the answers it went without needing to be said and just to explain that I, I want to tell you uh, my experience from our our recent road trip in in eastern Europe and Turkey uh, 
It seemed when I was driving that I was the only one who didn't know that the 90 speed sign only applied to truck drivers and not to me in a car. And of course I would slow down to my 90, the car's doing 130 to 160 would then be I didn't know, it went without being said. And in Turkey I was the only one who thought an orange light meant you had to prepare to stop as they swerved around me and went through. A red light means prepare to stop. There is plenty of time between the light turning red and the cars coming who have the green light. And in Turkey, that went without being said. The locals knew it. I didn't. It, for me, it was, it was insider information. And you see, Luke lives in a society that is called a collective society. In this society, individuals act to maintain the good reputation of their community. And this was measured on a spectrum of honour and shame. And in these societies, decisions were made collectively. Now, for most of us, we've grown up in the UK Western Europe or Australia and we are highly individualistic societies and in our societies success is valued we, and it's measured by our wealth and, and our happiness which belongs solely to our, ourselves as individuals and we have this sense that we're not responsible for anyone else's actions they're responsible for their actions, I'm responsible for mine. And because th that's the way we think, we don't naturally understand how collective societies thinks. Now, I realise that there are a few in our congregation who come from East Asia, uh, uh, Africa, some other place where collective societies are the norm. In, in fact, the majority of the world still operates somewhere in that spectrum but on the, the collective society side. The thing is, all of scripture is written for collective society readers. Us individualists, we have to be aware of this so that we don't impose our values on the story and miss its meaning. So let's unpack who is in what collective group in our story. Took me a long time to figure out how to make this diagram with my computer skills, so, so I want you to appreciate it. Um, I want you to, we're going to start with, with Simon and the woman. Now, these two people are opposites in almost every way. We have a man, a woman. We have a righteous person, we have a sinful person, we have an honoured person, we have a shamed person. But despite that, they are both locals of the town of Na'in, where the meal is taking place. Now, in this society, how they treat visitors reflects on the honour or shame of the community. Jesus is a visitor. We're told back in verse 
uh, 11 of chapter 7 that Jesus had arrived in this town. He'd, he'd raised a widow's son back to life. He'd performed other miracles and he was preaching the good news. The disciples of John the Baptist were there and they observed all this and they took their report back to John to assure him that Jesus was indeed the anointed one of God. However, Luke tells us in verse 29 to 30 that the community of Nain were divided in their response to Jesus. So let's just have a quick read of that. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' word, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptised by John. Now it's very interesting. These are people that are part of the Nain community, the, the local town community. But you can be more... You can be a part of more than one community. And Simon was numbered amongst the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, in the last two chapters, chapter 5 and, and 6, Luke portrays that this group, this collective, as one who is challenging Jesus' uh, methods and claims. Because Jesus posed a real problem to this group. You see, he was teaching and he was gaining a following just like the other teachers of the law and so because he was a teacher the Pharisees and teachers of the law expect him to come into their group but if he does so he has to uphold their values that's how a collective society works you become a Pharisee and a teacher of the law you play by the party's rules. Jesus refuses. And in, in verse 7 of chapter 6, it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Don't play by our games, then we, you become our enemy. That was their luck. If they could publicly shame Jesus, uh, they would discredit him as a, a teacher of the law. Uh, he would lose his followers and he would be numbered amongst the sinners. The woman, on the other hand, is one of the people of Nain who had heard the preaching of Jesus and she'd been deeply moved by it. She'd believed and she'd repented. She'd become part of the Jesus community. And she is now taking every opportunity to be near Jesus and to honour Jesus. We see that in that she has gone to this dinner party with, with the alabaster jar of, of perfume. She did have intentions to, to honour Jesus with it. So both the woman and the Pharisee share a community, but they're also part of different communities. Remember, in this collective society, individuals are expected to act to maintain the good reputation of their communities. This was the way the first readers would have interpreted this story. It didn't need to be said. It, it went without needing to be said. And we're going to use now this insider information to make sense of the woman's actions. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, 
he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, this is the first of three times that uh, Luke records Jesus eating in the home of a Pharisee. It's, it's interesting because we actually think that Jesus spent most of his time eating with sinners, don't we? I, I, well, I certainly did. But in Luke, it's only one record of Jesus eating with sinners and that occasion was back in chapter 5 of Luke and at that time it was the Pharisees who were there observing the dinner party from the sidelines and it's it's good to know that because it does answer one of those questions that I had why is this woman at a private dinner party because in this time, there was no such thing as a private dinner party. Uh, th- we've got to remember, this was the time before newspapers. Well, they're old hat anyway. It was the time before cameras and the internet is probably a better way to say it. And uh, public figures uh, welcomed the community to observe from the sidelines. In a collective society, there is, there is nothing private. Uh, in fact... This was really essential for the proper function of the society. Okay? It's been interesting talking to a a, a mate recently who has been living in Indonesia for a number of years. Uh, He tells me that privacy and me time is a foreign concept and uh, and, uh, it's viewed as being quite unusual for him to want to grab a bit of time for himself. Uh, So... So this is what it's like in this society. On the surface, we have the Pharisee who seems to be doing the honourable thing in the the eyes of the local community. He's extending hospitality to Jesus, a visitor to their town. But the Pharisees, we said as a group, don't want to give Jesus honour, they want to bring him down. And later in verse 44 to 46, Jesus lists the ways in which Simon intentionally withheld hospitality. We'll just have a look at those. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. You did not give me a kiss. You did not put oil on my head. Now, I want you to use your imagination here, and I want you to to imagine that you are the woman in this story. You're a member of this local community and you're there witnessing how this Pharisee's behaviour is insulting the visitor and bringing shame to your whole community. But your feelings are, are magnified a hundredfold because just the other day this visitor had become the most valued person in your life. You had seen his miracles, you had heard his words of God's grace and loving forgiveness and unlike, I should say, the other religious people, he had extended grace to you, a sinner. Having received such unconditional love, how could you remain on the sidelines and not act? The woman couldn't. The woman couldn't. The woman began to weep and impulsively steps in to give Jesus the honour he was being denied as a guest of 
their village. She was unprepared with water, but her tears were flowing naturally, and with them she washed Jesus' feet. She brought no towel, and while I wonder why she didn't use the hem of a garment, she chose to bring shame on herself by letting down her hair in public for use as a towel. You see, in this society, a woman's hair is, is covered in public. It, it's only let out in private. To reveal your hair is to show your, your crowning glory, your beauty. The thing is, is that you don't usually use your crowning glory, your beauty, as a towel. But this woman did. She humiliated herself to bring honour to Jesus. However, the Pharisee, totally unmoved by the woman's actions. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He doesn't ask himself, well, this is really unusual. What's motivating her to debase herself in this way? Why is she giving Jesus honour at her expense? Had he done so, he may have changed his perception of Jesus and of the woman. But no, to, this, to him, this woman is forever a sinner. There's no hope for her. She's not a person who would respond to a, a little love and consideration. To, to him, she is of no value and no consequence and never will be. The only power that he sees her having is to share her shame with anyone she associates with. Our Pharisee is fixated on Jesus' reaction to the woman. Because Jesus doesn't respond as the Pharisee would, he concludes that Jesus is no prophet. Now I want you to note, and, and I, I love this, when you read the Bible, when you notice this, this record of events includes what the person was thinking. This is not spoken by the Pharisee. It's, it's in his thoughts. He's thinking these things. But Luke records it there. And it's followed by Jesus responding. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, this is the first time that, that Jesus speaks in our story. And he addresses the Pharisee, by name. Up until now, Luke has intentionally depersonalized him by calling him a Pharisee with all the neg negative baggage that we've been talking about. But Jesus starts the conversation by recognizing the person behind the label and he calls him by name, Simon. He wants to address the person, not that whole collective with its own agenda but Simon's not re yet ready to drop his identity as a Pharisee and he continues the facade disguising his real feelings towards Jesus when he says tell me teacher he didn't think Jesus was a teacher that was a mocking comment but Jesus ignores that he moves into this seemingly unremarkable parable Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. 
It's funny, isn't it? When you, when you get your uh, different versions of the Bible, there's usually a bit of a heading up the top. And, uh, and quite often, the parable grabs the headlines. The Good Samaritan, the parable of the lost son. Uh, this one just isn't that news-grabbing to be used in, in any titles. Most of the titles are about the sinful woman. Uh, only a couple ever mention uh, the Pharisee and none really mention this parable. Uh, and look, the parable itself doesn't take much explaining. I could say that 500 denarii was about a year's wage uh, and therefore 50 denarii was maybe about a month's wage. Uh, the parable doesn't give us much more information except these two people have one thing in common. Neither of them have the means to repay their debt. Now, Simon would know that both debtors could be jailed for this, for not repaying the, the debt. The amount doesn't matter. If you can't repay when you should, jail. He would also know the other foundation of his society uh, that is happening here, and, 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 and that is, it's called patronage, okay? It's where a benefactor steps in on your behalf and solves a problem that you can't solve yourself, okay? It's a key foundation to this society. Again, when Janet and I were uh, looking around uh, the ruins of Ephesus, I think that was the main one, there'd be these plaques that uh, would say, this road was built by such and such, Erasmus, I think, was one of them for the benefit of the society. Erasmus, in that case, was a patron to the society and the idea was you'd, you'd advertise that and society would be thankful to you. We saw another one, with, which, which is actually, uh, that one was in um, Greek. This other one was 600 years later and it was a... a um, a fountain, a bubbler, <laughs> an, an ancient bubbler uh, where someone or other, the tailor, had built this for the benefit of the community. But it was the same thing. This, this patronage idea had continued for a long time. Now, Simon would know that. Uh, he would know that both debtors could be jailed. We mentioned that, sorry. Uh, he would also know that uh, about patronage, where, where the benefactor steps in. We've mentioned that. Uh, however, with having someone doing something for you that you cannot do yourself, there are strings attached. So when these people are released from their debt, there are strings attached. As a beneficiary... You are expected in this society to show the benefactor honour, loyalty and love. This makes sense of Jesus' question. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. I don't think we have the same sense of indebtedness in, uh, in, in our individualist society. For Simon, the, 
the answer is a no-brainer. Of course the one relieved of the biggest debt will love and honour the moneylender the most. They have been relieved of the greatest shame. Let's move on. Then he turned towards the woman and he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is saying, Simon, do you see this woman? Up until now, you've only ever seen a sinner. But look again, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, yes, she was a sinner. But just like you, Simon, she is also a person. In fact, both of you share obligations in your community to show hospitality to the visitor. Simon, your hospitality ended when you invited to me your, to your house. You then made me feel unwelcomed. Where you choose to shame me, she took over your duties and gave me honour on behalf of your community. Simon, you know in our culture, we reciprocate what we receive. You've been shaming me to my detriment, Simon. It's appropriate that I reciprocate by shaming you. But there's a difference, Simon. I want you to benefit through this shaming. I want you to come to a deeper understanding of God and my love for you. We read on. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Again, talking to Simon, he says, Simon, you haven't known that I have already forgiven this woman's many sins. They have been forgiven. She's no longer a sinner, as you supposed. I have welcomed her in, and she is now one of my followers. You see, Simon... I'm the moneylender in the parable and she, the one who owes, owed 500 denarii. I have forgiven her much and she is reciprocating by giving me much loyalty, honour and love, as is appropriate. I am shaming you so that you may benefit. I am offering you an opportunity to see me in a new way. Not through the eyes of a Pharisee, but a, as a person with a debt they can never repay. You are the one with the smaller debt. Though the punishment for both of them is the same. Remember Simon, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Will you allow me to forgive your debt? Will you accept me as your patron and Simon, will you give me a little love? Luke finishes the passage with addressing the woman. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Jesus affirms the woman's actions in the eyes of all present. He turns any shame that was being directed towards her into honour. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now this meal was always intended to be a public spectacle. However, it didn't go as planned. Instead of Jesus being humiliated, the guests were even more curious to find out who this person is who can forgive sins. Now Simon should know because back in Luke chapter 5 in verse 21, the Pharisees had questioned, who can forgive sins but God alone? There's only two choices. He's either a liar or he's God. Now I've got one thing I want to show you from the symmetry of this story. Verse 36. Verse 36 with, begins with Jesus accepting an invitation from a Pharisee. And as we mentioned, it leads uh, to the two rings into to Jesus being shamed in verses 39 to 40. Now to keep the symmetry there, we have uh, Simon the Pharisee being shamed in verses 43 to 47 and we would anticipate at the end Simon accepting the invitation from Jesus. There should be an, an additional verse to, to finish it off but there is no other verse. The implied invitation from Jesus is something like this, Simon, I'm offering to give, forgive you your sins too. I'm inviting you personally to join me. Become my follower and see the world differently. I want you to learn what it is to sacrificially love God and love people as God intended. While the ring composition is complete from, for, for the woman, Luke leaves Simon's ring unopened. Sorry, leaves Simon's ring opened. There is another story of a Pharisee uh, in John's Gospel. His name was Nicodemus. And he was the bloke who came to Jesus at night. We can read that in John chapter 3. What I like about Nicodemus is that his story continues because we read about Nicodemus again in John chapter 7 where he's meeting with the Pharisees and he, he, he tries to offer a defence of Jesus but is quickly jumped on by the, the Pharisees and is humiliated and, and he cowardly withdraws from the conversation. But Nicodemus is then mentioned one last time in John chapter 19 Jesus has been crucified and Nicodemus reveals his allegiance to Jesus when he goes with Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea to collect Jesus' body from Pilate it's an exciting story reading the progression of Nicodemus of, of being curious to revealing himself as a believer but Simon the Pharisee is not mentioned again outside this passage we don't know if like Nicodemus he became a follower of Jesus what we do know is that he would have been welcomed so what are our takeaways from this passage here's just a few that I've thought of 
most of us are like Simon. It's interesting, isn't it? When we, when we read a story of the Bible, we want to associate ourselves with the woman, the shining person. Quite often, these passages are for us to consider ourselves as the person that, that is actually in need of more. So most of us are like Simon, if we, if we dare to think so. Uh, where we are, what we do have common is that most of us have been worshipping God for a long time and over that time maybe our faith has become a little cold like the Pharisees had or a little skewered and it's preventing us from being effective in our witness maybe we need a a spiritual health check Uh, can I add that there is no shame in health checks of any type Uh, I know as a, a young person, uh, there was once a stigma associated with mental health, with, with seeking a mental health profession, professional's uh, assistance. But now it's accepted as good practice and part of proper self-care. Certainly as, as pastors or chaplains, this, this is what we do. We all see mental health professionals uh, as part of our work Uh, so maybe it's time for us to consider changing our perception of spiritual health checks and see them as a as a positive thing rather than as a challenge to our our pride or or a matter of shame so that that was one thought I got out of it the next is the question are we responding to Jesus with loyalty Uh, the Pharisee wanted Jesus to give them loyalty and do things their way sadly uh, our attitude isn't that much different at times Uh, and often we reveal that with our, our prayers we have an expectation of Jesus to serve us rather we're to serve him with our loyalty expressed through love worship and service Uh, the parable suggests that we may undervalue what Jesus has done for us and therefore under respond with our gratitude I think probably the greater problem in our western society is to is failing to see that ongoing gratitude is is part of the deal and lastly but in no way least Jesus offers forgiveness. The parable suggests that there are levels of forgiveness because there are levels of sin. And, uh, and I think this is part of the, the cleverness of this parable um, is that Jesus writes it because he's communicating to a person who has that idea. In, in Simon's worldview, there were levels. And so the parable is tailored to communicate to Simon the fact is the punishment for our sin at whatever level is separation from God okay similarly the price for each of us to be freed from sin was the life of Jesus our saviour nothing less nothing less
The invitation to Simon and ourselves is to look again at what our faith has become. Receive Jesus' forgiveness and join his community and serve and worship our Lord in humility. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we give you thanks for this simple story. We thank you that you are a God that welcomes everyone. We thank you that you gave your life as Jesus, Lord, to open the way for us to come back into a, a relationship with you. Lord, you are our patron and we will always be indebted to you. Lord, we just ask that you give us opportunities to share this fantastic news with all you bring across our path. We just ask this in Jesus' name.